I want to read to you again today a scripture we've been looking at together for the last several weeks. And uh, one that Sarah ministered to us on. And out of last week, didn't she do a wonderful job last week? What a great day we had. I so love the anointing on her and what she brings to this church. We are better because of it. In the book of Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said these words in verse 28. And we'll put this on the screen for you. Matthew eleven twenty-eight. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will add to your burden. I will make it harder. No. What will he do? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If Christianity is something other than light and easy to you, you're doing it wrong. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. This is quite a promise he's made to us. And it was a complete revolution and a total opposite way of thinking to everybody around him hearing that, especially for the first time. Because religion was anything but light and easy. Man, it was heavy. It was hard. It was burdensome to people. And besides all that, it was impossible. It was an impossible standard to live up to without the grace of God on the inside of man strengthening him, enabling him. There was no way anybody could perform in life in such a way that God would come to them and say, okay, good job, you did it. Now you're righteous. And unless I'm mistaken, to this day, God still has never done that to anyone. I mean, is there anybody in here that would raise a hand and say, yes, God came knocking on your door? And said, wow, you are amazing. I'm impressed. You've kept all my laws. You've done everything just right. And I owe you some salvation. Anybody at all? Show of hands. Ushers, help me. Do we have any hands? Any liars in the house this morning? Because he did not come to you and say that. He did not come to me and say that. Not one of us has lived in a way worthy of earning anything from him. He didn't owe you anything, but he gave you everything. Glory to God. In Jesus, he's given you and I everything. That's why the Bible says, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? If he didn't spare Jesus, why would he spare something else? Every, every good and perfect gift comes from the father. And it's not something you earned. It's a gift. It's a gift. And this rest that Jesus is talking about is the same thing. It's a gift. Come to me and I will give you rest. Now, what Sarah dealt with last week is what Jesus was saying here in this verse. He said, you're going to find rest for your soul. Now, going back to the beginning of this topic, when you and I began talking about this several weeks ago, I told you that rest... Rest is far more than resting this physical body. But yet, if you talk to people about it, they, they don't know how to think much beyond that. If you say to somebody, describe what it means to me to live at rest. Well, they might say, well, I don't know. You know, you, you get a nap every now and then, or you try to get a solid eight hours of sleep. And, and, and that's fine. And, and, and there is certainly truth to that. We'll see that today. But it doesn't start there. Resting doesn't start with what you do in this physical body. Just like nothing in God ever starts from the outside. He's an inside out God. I don't know if you've noticed that about him yet, but everything he does is from the inside out. I know one year I was, I think I was about 36 years old, almost 37. Sarah and I had gone away on vacation and I was sitting uh, on the balcony of this hotel First morning of vacation. And the Lord began speaking to me. I was reading some scriptures and just being quiet. And I heard these words on the inside. After reading a scripture out of the book of 2 Timothy. In a particular translation that talked about being fit for the master's use. And the Lord spoke to me that morning. Early that morning on vacation. And he said, Jeremy, I want you fit by 40. Fit by 40. 
And I'm 42 and something now. And that was 36 then. So it's been a number of years ago now. But I got to admit, when he said that, my first thought was physical. I had started working out some months before that with some guys at the office. And we were really getting into it. So I kind of had it on the mind. You know, I had it on the brain. And um, I, when I first heard that, Fit by 40, my first thought was, okay, I'm going to have to you know, get my diet right and get my physical exercise right. Maybe add a day of the week to the, to the routine here. But the more I sat there and meditated on that, I thought, wait a second. Boy, you know better than this. God never talks to you about change from the outside in. He always talks about change. How? From the inside out. So being physically fit is great and it's a fine goal. But being spiritually fit is something else. Being fit on the inside. Being ready on the inside. And I won't take time to tell you the whole story. I I didn't really know what he was talking about at the time. All I knew was, okay, he's telling me get in shape, which means something's coming. Something is headed our way and I need to get ready for it. And that's what I sense the Lord was saying. That's get ready for it. Get ready for it. Get ready for it. Which when you first hear that, that's exciting, right? Wow. Get ready. Get ready. Get ready. But the more you think about it, it's got this other side of the coin that says what? You're not ready. You're not ready. You're not ready. (laughs) In other words, if God wanted to do it for me, then couldn't have. Wasn't ready for it. There was change that had to take place starting on the inside, working its way to the outside. And what I didn't know right then was that my first day in the pulpit as the pastor of Legacy Church in Green Mountain Falls, Colorado, I would stand there as a 40-year-old man. He was saying, something's coming. Something's coming. And we didn't know it was this church at that point, but as time progressed, we began to see it more clearly. And he's saying, look, I want you ready for this. Well, what Jesus is talking to us about here is entering into a life of rest But I said all that to remind you this. It's not just an outward thing. You have to address inward rest before you ever get to outward rest. And this is what the life of faith is. It's a life at rest. Faith is a rest. Can you say that? Faith is a rest. And every time you hear that, you think, okay, well, I thought faith is a fight. And they're both true. I would say it to you like this. Faith is the fight to remain at rest. Have you figured that out yet in life? That if you're going to remain at rest, you got to fight to stay that way? Because there are things every single day trying to pull you out of your place of rest. Get you up out of that place seated with Jesus in heavenly places. And that's what the scripture says. That's, that's our place seated with him. And it's not an accident that he uses that word seated Just like you're seated right now. I mean, I could take a seat right here. And when I do, this body is at rest. I'm not the one holding myself up anymore. You're not holding yourself up. Something else is doing that. Faith is a rest. It's trust. He's holding me up. He's supporting me, sustaining me. And there are things coming at you in this life all the time, trying to get you out of that place of rest. And it's the fight of faith that says, I'm not leaving my seat. Are you with me? I'm not leaving my seat. Seated with Jesus in heavenly places. I'm not getting up out of this place of rest. So it starts on the inside. But what Jesus said was you would find rest for your soul. Once you've established spiritual rest, which is what we've been doing for weeks, you cross over into what Sarah began talking to us about last week. And that's rest in your soul. Your mind your will, and your emotions. Now the scripture talks to us, and we've read it over and over out of the book of Hebrews, talks to us about entering that rest. And he says, let us fear, lest we should fail to enter into the rest. He said, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. So that tells me even people of God, if they're not doing it by faith, they are not entering in To the rest that's available to him. And this is what she was dealing with last week. Entering into that rest. But one of the things the Lord gave her. That I thought was so powerful. You remember she said. If you can enter the rest. Guess what else you can do. Exit the rest. I'm not recommending it. 
entering the rest or exiting the rest. This is what we're doing all the time. We are either entering into it or we are leaving it. And so people want to know, well, how do I know? These are spiritual things. These are things that take place in an unseen realm. How do I know I've entered into the rest of God? How do I know that I've spiritually entered into rest? Well, you want to know how you find out? Ask your soul. Your soul will tell you whether or not you've entered into the rest. She talked to us, you remember this, about having a calm and a quiet on the inside and living with a patient expectation. You know when you're driving your car, it, it, it's good to at least occasionally check out the gauges on the dashboard. Like, just take a glance every now and then, okay? What do you have up there? You've got a, you've got a fuel gauge, don't you? You've got, you've got uh, engine temperature gauges. You've got oil pressure. You've got tire pressure. You've got any number of gauges on the car, and every one of them are there to tell you about the health of your vehicle. Tell you what kind of shape it's in. That fuel gauge, how many of you would agree? It'd be good to check that one every now and then. Just take a quick peek, see how you're doing. Because if that thing gets real low and dips below that red line, you're a fool if you think I can keep going, right? That gauge is there to tell you what you have, but it's also there to tell you what you need. Just like any of them. Your oil temperature, your, your, got any car guys in here? Am I telling the truth? Am I, am I preaching to anybody? No, seriously, I'm asking because I don't know this stuff. I'm not. They're all there to tell you about the health of, a, of your car. Well, you're going to have to set up some gauges on the dashboard of your soul that indicate to you the health of your life. That, that fuel gauge tells you how much gas you have and how much you don't have. You need a joy gauge. You need a peace gauge. You need a, a love gauge. You need a calm and quiet gauge. You need a patience. Check the patience pressure every now and then. This is what she was talking to us about last week. Setting these things up in your life. These are the indicators that you've either entered the rest or you've exited the rest. When there's a calm and a quiet and a patient expectation on the inside, guess what? You've entered the rest of God. But when you are panicked, disquieted, lost all patience, guess what? You've exited the rest. How do I know if I've entered the rest? Ask your soul. It'll tell you. And there is so much more we could talk about with that. The, the rest of your soul. But what I, what I sense in my spirit we were supposed to move on to today is once you've established a spiritual rest that spills over into living with a rest in your soul, what's next? Well, now you can get into resting this physical body. Does the Bible have anything to say about physical rest? Yeah. And what you're going to see today over the next couple of minutes... A couple of minutes. <laughs> what you're going to see today, sometime before 12, is that God has made provision for rest in every area of your life. He provided a savior for your spiritual rest. Amen. He has provided peace and joy. Peace like the world can't give. Joy like the world can't give. He's made provision for that for the rest of your soul. But what you're going to see is that he's also provided, made provision in his word for resting this physical body. Now these bodies, these physical human bodies, they're amazing. <laughs> I know some of you have to believe that by faith, but listen, they are. It's an amazing piece of machinery, man. What this thing can do, what it's capable of. I mean, the brain, the central nervous system, 
the bones, the joints, the, the organs, the tissues, and how all of these things function as one and they communicate at lightning quick speeds, lightning fast speeds. This thing is an amazing piece of machinery. But even though it's amazing and, and, and it's astounding, and, and yes, I understand that doctors and researchers and scientists and biologists, they're, they're studying these things all the time. And yeah, perhaps they know more about this machine now than they've ever known before, but there's still so much of it that's a marvel to them. Do you know that? That there's still so much of the inner workings of, of this human body and how it functions and, and the intuitiveness of it and, and what it's able to do, just the fact that, that it, it's got like built-in healing into it. I mean, if you scraped your elbow when you were a kid, check it, it's healed. How'd that happen? It's got stuff built in. It's an amazing thing. But as amazing and astounding as it is, it has limitations. Do you know this? When God built this machine, he installed an off switch. Now, many, 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 many people either can't find it or pretend like they don't have one. But he put one on the machine, an off switch. Why? Because just like any other machine, this one cannot run and run and run and run 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year without some rest. If you try, if you can't find the off switch, again, I'm not asking for hands, but if you can't find the off switch in life, or if you're just pretending like you don't have one, what happens to a piece of machinery, even if it's well-built, expertly designed, well-engineered, if you run that thing night and day, incessantly, never give it a break, it will wear out before it's time. Parts will break. It will stop functioning the way it was designed. Even the, even the best mechanics, even the best pieces of machinery were designed with an off switch because they all need a break. Your body, which is a gift from God, expertly designed, I mean, beyond genius, the way he put us together, knit us, formed us in our mother's womb beautifully. And you are fearfully and wonderfully made. But he put an off switch. I said, he put an off switch on there and it's not okay. It's not okay to run this thing into the ground. It's not okay to think that you can go night and day, day and night without ever giving this thing a break. And as I was meditating on some of these things, I began to see from the scripture that you can take rest. And when you're talking about physical rest, I believe you can break it up. And this is what we'll do today into three categories, if you will. And I want to touch briefly on these first two, and I want to spend a few more minutes on the last one. But God designed you and designed me, these bodies, to rest a little bit every day. Every single day. Somebody say every day. There is a daily rest that is required. You know what it's called? sleep. It's called sleep. I, I looked at this and, and I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert in these things, but I can Google. And so can you. And what I found out was that up to 70 million Americans of all ages and socioeconomic classes have some sleep related problem. That's a lot of people. Um, I found out the CDC reports that nearly 9 million U.S. adults take prescription sleep aids. Not able to shut off. This was interesting. If you start studying some of this, you're going to find out that sleep and the benefits of it are amazing. Did you know that sleep actually keeps your heart healthy? 
Anybody interested in a healthy heart? When you talk about a piece of machinery, this thing's just pumping and pumping and pumping and pumping. I'm glad it doesn't take a break. But it's got to be kept healthy. Sleep keeps your heart healthy. Did you know that sleep lowers the risk of serious health problems, heart disease, diabetes, and even cancer? Sleep. Sleep reduces stress. Sleep reduces inflammation. Sleep regulates blood sugar. So many people on so many different medications for all these different things. And you know what the prescription really should be? Go to sleep. Go to sleep. Listen. He says sleep makes you more alert. You knew that. I think some of you could have used a little more last night. No. He says sleep improves your memory. Sleep, I like this one, may actually help you lose weight or regulate weight. And this was the, lap, the last one. Napping makes you smarter. That sounds scientific, doesn't it? You know, there's a, we've already seen this. There's an epidemic of people that are not getting the kind of sleep that this physical body needs that it requires. It's been a few weeks ago. I told you about that article that someone shared with me years ago, and it just always stuck with me. It came out of like a men's health magazine. And they were talking about how sleep deprived and, and what a sleep deficit we have in America. And I'm sure the same thing's true in many places around the world. Was talk, the, the, the analogy it gave was, it, it said, imagine for every hour that you're awake. Remember we talked about this? It's like putting a brick on your shoulders. But for every hour you sleep, it's like taking two off. And man, that stuck with me. From the day I heard it, I've never forgotten it. And, and so many different times, I've been in bed, lying awake at night, maybe unable to sleep, just looking at that clock. Now we have our phones, but it used to be the clock with the red digits, right? And I would watch, and I would just lay there and look at it and think, okay, if I go to sleep right now, I can take six bricks off, and if I was awake for this many bricks, and you think about it in those terms. But it was, it's a good picture. And if you're awake and working for 16 hours, you got 16 bricks, right? If you're asleep for eight You've taken two off every hour. You took off 16. Great. You wake up with how many bricks on your shoulders, boys and girls? If Johnny has 16 bricks on his shoulders. Simple math, right? You wake up without any weight. You wake up without leftover heaviness. But that's not what's happening, is it? There are people that are up for 18, 19, 20 hours getting far less sleep than they require. And what if they get four hours, six hours, maybe they wake up the next day and they think, well, I'm good. I don't need all that eight hours. I'm, I'm awesome. I'm Superman. I'm superwoman. I can go and go and go and go and go. Well, what you don't know is that you started the day before you ever put your feet on the ground with what? Four bricks, six bricks and do that every day for 10 years. You got a brick yard on top of you. And you're not designed to live that way. So what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, we'll put this on screen for you. You don't have to turn there. But I'm going to give you, if you've been struggling to sleep well at night, I'm going to give you two sleeping pills. And I want you to take these. And I was going to say call me in the morning. But it may take a while for it to get in your system. But take these two sleeping pills. Look, look at this first one. Psalm chapter 4 verse 8. Can we put that on the screen? Psalm 4 verse 8. What did he say? I will both lie down in peace and sleep for you alone. O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Now, I don't know if David was having trouble sleeping when he wrote this, if this is his declaration of faith, but he said, I'm going to lay down. I'm going to lay down in peace and I will sleep. I'll sleep. Why? Because the Lord makes me dwell in safety. So if you've been struggling at night, laying awake, worried about the future, worried about the finances, worried about whatever's going on in your life, the family, whatever, before you lay there, and instead of laying there, thinking these things and just chewing on these things over and over, pop this pill and say it out loud. I will both lie down in peace and sleep because he makes me dwell in safety. Now, you cannot overdose on these, by the way. You can take them and take them and take them and take them. Here's another one. 
from the book of Psalms, chapter 127, verse 2. He said, it's vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. It's vain. What's vain mean? Useless, pointless, produces nothing for you to get up real early. To stay up real late, worried, 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 worried. And this is why people are losing sleep. They cannot shake the worry. They can't shake the anxiety. And he said, it is pointless, useless, vain for you to get up early, stay up late, feasting on the bread of sorrows because he gives his beloved sleep. So say it out loud. I'm his beloved and he gives me sleep. I remember my grandfather saying years ago, I think he was having trouble sleeping and it finally dawned on him one day. He said, you know what, God, your word says you never sleep. You never slumber. There's no point in both of us being awake. I'm going to bed. And that's the right attitude. That is the right attitude. There's no point in both of you being awake. And listen to me. If Jesus can get into a boat, lay his head down on a pillow while that thing fills up with water and the wind and the waves beat against it and he's down there sawing logs, snoozing away and they have to come shake him and wake him up. You can lay down in your bed with that same peace and you can sleep. Somebody said, I can sleep. These are things you can be taking. They should be coming out of your mouth all the time, all the time, all the time. He gives me sleep. I'm his beloved. He gives me sleep. I'm his beloved. He gives me sleep. Sleep is a gift. I thank you for that gift, Lord. I believe it. I receive it. And if you've been dependent on medication or substances of any kind, listen to me. I understand it, but you don't have to keep living that way. There is a peace that you can have that no pill can offer. There is a peace that you will not find at the bottom of a bottle. It belongs to you. It's peace. It's rest for this physical body. When Justice, our son, who's now 12, when he was probably 18 months old, two years old, we used to watch him at night on the baby monitor. Now, I know some of you had the baby monitors that were just audio. And if you didn't have a kid in the age of video baby monitors, you should really think about having another one because this is fun. (laughs) It's like pure entertainment. It's better than anything on TV, watching these little guys at night. And we were away with him. This is before we had our daughter, Jessie. We were away with him on a trip and we had set up a, this little video baby monitor in his room and Sarah and I were in our room and we're just watching him. And justice for a while there, he would get out of bed, get out of bed, pop up. You'd lay him down, he'd pop up. You'd lay him down, he'd pop right back up. But this night he got out of bed, but we were trying to figure out what is he doing? What are you doing in there, buddy? He was in the bed, out of the bed. We could see the bed is like playing around on the floor. And so I went into his room and it's pitch black in there. I'm kind of getting down low and feeling around for him. I find him at the foot of the bed. And he, I said, Justice, what are you doing, buddy? And he reaches out. He puts his hands on my cheek. And he says, saw hands, daddy. Saw hands. Saw hands, daddy. Saw hands. What are you saying? But I realized when he touched my cheek, he had taken his socks off and put socks on his hands and said, sock hands, daddy, sock hands. Now, Sarah had read a book to him. One of his favorite books at the time was a book called If You Give a Moose a Muffin. It's Pulitzer Prize winning stuff here. But somewhere in the course of this book, this moose gets socks and puts them on his hands and makes sock puppets out of his hands. This is what justice is doing. He's playing sock hands at night. Why am I telling you this? Because that is a much more productive use of your time than to lay there and worry. It's vain to sit up late and worry. I'm telling you the truth. The Lord helped me with that. He said, next time you're tempted to lay there, worry about the family, worry about your finances, worry about the ministry. Here's what you do. You get some socks, you put them on your hands, turn over to Sarah and say, sock hands, baby, sock hands. Now, what you do from there is your business. I'm not trying to get into any of that. I'm just telling you that playing sock hands 
free from worry is a much better use of your time. Amen. He has made provision for your sleep. So that's the, that's the rest that we need. And we need that every single day. Don't kid yourself thinking you can go without it. You need that. And he's made provision for it. You also need a rest weekly. There is rest that we get daily, but there's also rest that this machine was built to require on a weekly basis. And you look at it through the scriptures and it's called the Sabbath. So we've got daily rest that comes in sleep. You've got weekly rest that comes in a Sabbath. Now, if you don't think this is a big deal to God, you're not reading your Bible. The Sabbath showed up at the end of week one, creation. We talked about this, where God rested on that seventh day. And days one through six, he called good. He saw what he made and said it was good. But day seven, he didn't call good. He called holy. And this was such a big deal to God that when it came time to give the Ten Commandments, you've heard of those, I think. And you remember some of them, right? Uh, no other gods before you, no graven images. Thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill. I mean, there's some heavy stuff in these commandments. You, know, you want to know what's right in the middle of them? Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. This is a big deal to God. This rest. Why would this be such a big deal to him? Well, he built this thing. He knows what it needs. But besides all that, when you rest, you are actually saying, you're God and I'm not. You are God, I'm not. And the reason I say that is because he commanded his people to rest. And when he said rest, he said, I don't want you out collecting food. I don't want you out doing work. I want you resting. You want to know why many, many, many people refuse to rest even one day a week? They fear that if I'm not out there working, I'm not going to have enough. If I'm not out there working, if I'm not out there collecting, I can't provide. That means you think to some degree, you are your own God, that you are your own source. But resting, even just one day a week, says, Lord, you're my source. And the miracles he did for them, he would rain manna out of the sky in the wilderness. But he said, listen to me, on that sixth day, get enough for two days because you ain't going out there on the seventh day. And you know what they did? They went out on the seventh day. He said, I told you not to do that. Why would somebody go out on the seventh day? Well, I'd love to rest, but I just don't know if we're going to have enough. I just don't know if I'm going to have enough to feed my family. And God said, no, if you rest, I'll guarantee you have enough. This was a big deal to him. He gave them this command. Remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. But. Man did what man does. Got a hold of this law. Remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. And they put so many laws around this law that it actually became more work. It became more work just to keep the Sabbath. Totally lost the spirit of it. Totally lost what God wanted to do in it. Until Jesus comes along and he's preaching on the Sabbath day and he starts healing Oh, this made some people mad. He tells a guy who had been lame for many, 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 many years. He said, take up your bed and walk. Now, any other day of the week, that would have been fine. We're good with miracles on Mondays through Fridays. But because he said it on the Sabbath, the religious people, what, did they celebrate the miracle? Did they praise God that a man who couldn't walk now can't? No. They got all hacked off because Jesus did it on the wrong day. Or so they thought it was the wrong day. They're mad at him. I mean, thoughts of crucifixion started like that because of what he did on the Sabbath. And it wasn't just one miracle. It wasn't just two. You go and read the scriptures. We have seven recorded miracles. These are just the ones that are written down of healings that took place on the Sabbath day. There was one day... Jesus and his disciples were walking as a Sabbath day and they were walking through a field and there was heads of grain in the field and, and Jesus and his disciples began to pluck the grains of, hay, uh, grains of wheat. And these religious people, 
got so fired up, angry, mad over this. You are picking wheat on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, have you not read where David himself, when he was hungry, went into the Holy of Holies to get the bread? And Jesus, he, how do you say this? To me, this is the big statement in all of scripture about the Sabbath day that will change the way you think about it. Jesus said this, that Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Man, that's revelation if you will think about it. They had so gotten crossed up in their thinking that they were trying to serve the day, not realizing God gave the day to serve them. God gave this day as a gift to you. I mentioned my grandfather to you earlier. He was preaching one time. I heard him say this. He had injured his back so severely. I think one time in his entire 50 plus years of ministry, he's ever canceled a service or canceled a trip. He was supposed to go to Australia, but he had blown out a disc in his back and he was laid up. He said he had heating pads because of the pain that was radiating down his leg. He had heating pads strapped all the way down his leg on his back. And he was sitting out on his porch and he had his Bible. And the Lord said to him, what are you doing? He was getting all excited about what he was reading. The Lord said, what are you doing? He's like, I'm reading the word. Yeah, but what are you going to do with that? And he goes, I'm going to preach it. He was trying to prepare, trying to get something together to preach. And the Lord spoke to him and said, I made you to rest 52 days a year. You haven't rested 52 days in five years. And he realized what he was doing. He's not enjoying the presence of the Lord. He's not fellowshipping with him. He's getting ready to preach. Nothing wrong with that. I love it too. But what the Lord has dealt with me, he said, Jeremy, ministry is a bad substitute for intimacy. And I've fallen into it. I know many, many, many ministers have. Thinking I'm good with God because I'm a preacher. But there's something that I need from him that only comes when I'm at rest. Not getting ready to preach at rest in his presence. He built you to rest this body 52 days a year. And those days do not include, are you listening? Housework. They don't include answering emails. Well, I'm from I'm at home, so it's fine. That's not resting. I don't even know that we really know what resting is. Shutting everything down, everything off, and being quiet. I'm good at that for like eight minutes. <laughs> and then I'm like you. Like, all right, now what? what? What's going on? Where should we be? What should we be doing? Rest. You were built. This machine, this, this amazing creation that God has knit together. He built it. He designed it with the limitation. Because there are things that happen in times of rest. The machine recuperates. The, the machine re-energizes. And it gets back strength that has been putting out, putting out, putting out, putting out. You need a Sabbath. And yes, I know Jesus has fulfilled the law. I understand that. I understand we're living in a new dispensation and it's the time of grace. Yes, I get it. I know that. But what, tell me, what happened that made God change his mind about rest? What, what happened that made him stop taking something so seriously? I think the good news is if you don't get the day of rest, you don't have the condemnation of death hanging over your head. That's good news. That's great news. But it doesn't change the fact that you're built with the same limitation that they had New Testament and Old. And that you require the same rest, the daily rest, the weekly rest that mankind has needed from day one. You need this rest. But here's one I want to just take a couple of minutes with, a couple more. We've dealt with this daily rest that he's made provision for, weekly rest, he's made provision for that. But where does that leave us? 
What's the next natural step, the progression, if you go from the day to the week, maybe the year? Now, I'm not trying to make laws out of this, but just hear my heart in it. Go to the book of Mark, chapter 6. Thank you, Lord. If your daily rest is called sleep and your weekly rest is called Sabbath, what would an exterior, an extended period of time be like maybe once a year or so? That's called vacation. And if you ask people in other places around the world, um, many people don't call it vacation. You know what they call it? Holiday. And we talked about this some weeks ago. Where do you get the word holiday? Holy day. God said that the seventh day, the day of rest, was a holy day. That's where we get that. In Mark chapter 6, I want you to look at verse 7. The Bible says that Jesus called the twelve, talking about his disciples, called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two. Check this out. And gave them power over unclean spirits. Anybody else wonder what that looked like? Hey, guys, come here. Come here. All of you. Come on. All 12 right now. I need to talk to you. Come here. The Bible says he gave them power over unclean spirits. There's a little bit for you. There's some power for you. You're going to need some power. What's that look like? What does the giving out, the providing of the power look like? How did that come? How did he give it? How did they take it? Well, the answer is here in the scriptures. Number one, he called them to himself. You're not getting this power anywhere else. Number two, he sent them out. When he sent them and they went, that's when the power came. The power came with him sending them, commissioning them, assigning them to go out. He sent them out two by two, gave them power over unclean spirits. He commanded them, check this out, to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belt, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. That's interesting instruction, isn't it? He's sending them out and they're loading up. They've got their, their money belt. They've got their man purse. They've got their, their clothes packed, you know, change of sandals if they need it. They're walking out with their bags. And Jesus says, what are you doing with all that stuff? Well, you, you're sending us out, right? We're going to be gone for days, weeks. How long? He said, don't take anything. Don't take money. Don't take money. Don't take, don't take that bag. Don't take that sack. Don't take that money. Don't take two pairs of sandals. Just take a staff and go. This is interesting. Why would he say this? Well, if you're not careful, people try to make doctrines out of this. See there, preacher? You ain't supposed to have nothing. Put scriptures together. Connect some dots. In the book of Luke, Jesus said to them after they had come home, he said, when I sent you out without money, without bags, without tunics, when I sent you out without food, he said, did you lack anything? You know what they said? Nothing. Nothing. How's that possible? He sent them without it, but they didn't lack it. It's possible like this. The same grace and the same calling that he's sending you out in is the same grace and calling that will equip you with everything you need to do everything he's called you to do. He's saying the same power I'm giving you, this same grace I'm giving you, trust it to put food on the table. Trust it to put clothes on your back. Trust it to provide for you all along the way. And he proved it to them because they came back and he said, you lack anything? And they said, nothing. The same grace that you called us with and sent us out with provided for us all along the way. Isn't that awesome? Now it says here, it goes on. Jesus kind of tells them what they can begin to expect. He said in verse 10, whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. So good instruction, stay till you leave. Verse 11, whoever will not receive you or hear you when you depart from there, shake off the dust under your feet as a testimony against them. Assuredly, I say to you, it'll be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. So he's saying there are people that will hear you. They'll receive you. There are others that won't. So they went out, verse 12, and they preached that people should repent. Verse 13, they cast out many demons. 
anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. Evidently, it worked. That power that he sent them out with, it worked. It provided healing. It provided deliverance. It provided the anointing to stand and preach to people and for people to go, yes, I believe that and receive that and repent of their sin. It worked. Somebody say, it worked. It worked. Now you fast forward to verse 30. It says, then the apostles gathered to Jesus. Don't you like that? He called them as disciples. They came back as apostles. What does apostle mean? Sent one. What, where was the change? They got sent. The, the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Man, can you imagine this? I can imagine it. I can imagine it because I've been there. Being young in ministry and growing up in a ministry house and seeing mom and dad preach, watching Papa and Mimi travel all over the world and, and go into places where it's dark and shine a light, bless God, and preach and see hundreds of people, if not thousands, receive the word and, and believe it and, and, and make Jesus the Lord of their lives and see miracles and healings and deliverances. And you grow up in that and you watch it, never doing it yourself until the time comes and the Lord sends you out. I've been there, man. I've been there when, when you stand on, stand on a platform and, and you preach for yourself the first time and oh my God, it worked. It worked. It did the same thing when I preached it that Papa pre when, when Papa preached it. It works. It's the same anointing. It's the same grace. It's the same power. And I know what this is like because I've come home. And I've picked up the phone and said, mom and dad and papa, maybe you got to hear. You gotta, we want to tell you everything the Lord did. Right after Sarah and I were married, a month later after our wedding, we were in Africa together. Spent two weeks preaching all over South Africa. Preached in churches, preached in townships, preached in a barn. And people got saved and healed and it was awesome. And I remember standing in papa's living room right about Thanksgiving time. So just a few weeks later. And telling him like a giddy little kid everything that happened. I've been where these guys are. Excited about the calling. And excited to see God do the work. It wasn't me working. It was God. It was the anointing. It was the grace. Thank you, Lord. And these guys are all fired up about it. But you know, most, many, I should say, religious-minded people would hear even a good report like that and say, well, that's fine and now that's good. But how many are still out there dying and going to hell? Oh, you, you're glad if you got saved? Well, fine. But how about the millions that died today? How about the millions that are going to hell tomorrow? What's that do to you? Where's your excitement going after that? Wow, well, I didn't really think of that. The implication is always this. this. This is always what's worked behind, at work behind a religious spirit. It's never enough. Never enough. You ever heard this statement before? Well, you could never pray enough. Could you ever really read your Bible enough? And you hear that. What does that do to you? Does that encourage you? No. You spend an hour, two, eight hours, whatever, reading the word. And the first thought comes in your mind, well, you know, you could re really never read enough. That's not true. That's not true. If that were true, then there's no difference between God and some hard-hearted religious Pharisee. That tells me you can. You can read exactly what he wants you to see. And it might be a verse. It might be one verse. Oh, you can never really pray enough. Yeah, you can. You can spend some time in prayer today. Spend an hour with your face laid out on the floor or spend five minutes praising the Lord as you're walking out the door. What's he telling you to do? Because to put yourself under this burden of it's never enough, that's not him. And I can prove that to you. Because when these guys came home, all fired up about what had happened, did Jesus say, well, what about the rest? What about everybody else who's dying? No. What did he say? How did he respond to this? Verse 31. He said to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. 
In other words, that's good. You did it. That's enough. For right now, that's enough. Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and do what? Rest. Now the same one that called them and sent them is now calling them to rest. Now I know I've done this wrong and I know other ministers who've done the same thing. You think this second instruction from him is optional. Oh, the first one, you know, this is our calling. We're preachers. This is this high calling we have to preach and teach and pastor this church. But yet when the same one who called you and anointed you and graced you in that place calls you to rest, for some reason we see that one is optional. The same thing applies to anybody in or out of the ministry. You think that him calling you away to rest is optional and it's not. It's as weighty of a calling as go and preach. If it's coming out of his mouth, who are we to say, I'll do this one, but not that one. The same one that called them to go and preach is the one that called them to come away and rest. Man, the Lord's dealt with me strong on this over the years. He has said to me things like, Jeremy, if I tell you to be in that pulpit, in that state, on that day, that's where you better be. You better not be on a beach somewhere. And yet, if I'm telling you to be on this beach, in this place, on that day, don't you dare be in a pulpit. See, that almost doesn't even compute with us. And I've literally had the Lord say things to me like this, Jeremy, I'm going to be speaking to you on that beach that day, whether you're there to hear it or not. And if you're not resting when I tell you to rest, then you're going to miss big things from me. And Sarah and I got so serious about this. I don't know what it was other than just the Lord himself from like day one in our marriage. And we started trusting him to provide for our rest. Have we not seen in his word already where he's made provision for the rest you need every day? Where he's made provision for the rest that you need every week? Well, guess what? He will make provision for the rest that you need these holy days. Do you want to know why most people in our country and and people around the world do not go on vacation? Money. They don't think they have the time and they don't think they have the money. But if we're going to do what God says do and go where he says go, then we're going to have to trust him to meet the need. The same way I'm trusting him to meet the needs of this church that I'm standing up in and preaching right now. That's what I should be doing, right? I should not be looking to myself to meet the needs of this place. I should be trusting him to provide for what he's called me to do. Well, what's the difference? When he says it's time to rest, why would I look immediately at my bank account and go, oh, well, I can't do that. The same God that's built this church miraculously can handle a few days with me and my family on a break. And I've seen him do it over and over and over again. Miraculous things. We've gone places no way we could afford. We've done things no way we could do on our own. I'm telling you, from our honeymoon. I mean, we've been married a couple of days. And we went away on our honeymoon. And we showed up at this hotel in Mexico. And we sat down to check in. And they said, I'm so sorry, but uh, we don't have the room that you requested. Okay. So they put us in this other room. It's fine. It's not as nice as what we thought we were getting. We were there for a day or two. And then we called down to check on it. Next thing we know, they're walking us down to this giant oceanfront suite with its own little pool right outside on the balcony. It's like, I didn't pay for that. Oh, glory to God. A year later, when it came time to celebrate our first anniversary, we prayed and we sought the Lord. He's dealing with us on these things. We said, Lord, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? We have a sense you're calling us away to rest. Where do you you want us to go? We both got it in our heart, Hawaii. And you're going, yeah, yeah. I got it in my heart too. (laughs) Don't laugh. Now, when he said that, we started looking at it. We started looking at flights. We started looking at hotels. And I hadn't been since I was a little kid. Mom and dad paid for that trip. I didn't know it was expensive. We started looking at it like, wow. Hawaii ain't cheap, but the Lord said, go. 
So we put together a little vision book. Sarah cut out a picture of these little islands right off the coast of Oahu. And, and we thought, okay, well, well, we'll believe God for this. Some friends of ours called us and said, hey, have you bought your airline tickets to Hawaii yet? We said, no. They said, we want to buy them. Hallelujah. Bought our tickets. I got online and booked this hotel room. And it was in the Ali'i Tower, which in Hawaiian means royal supposed to be the nicest thing they've got. I'm looking at these pictures. I'm like, this is gorgeous. Whoever takes these pictures for like online hotel things, these are, should be award-winning photographers because when we showed up and went up in the Ali'i Tower, it was like we opened the door and... Oh. Okay, it's not as big as we thought. Okay, well, hey, we're in Hawaii, right? It's fine. We're standing there and the floor starts shaking. It's not an earthquake. They're doing construction. I look out over the balcony. There's a dude with a jackhammer on the balcony below us. Okay, Lord, what are we doing? So instead of calling the front desk and griping them out, I just called and said, hey, listen, I don't know if there's any other options for rooms. It's kind of loud here. And they said, well, we can take you up a few floors. So we, they, they came and got us. We went up a few floors, opened the door, exact same room. It's not as loud. It's still shaking. I was like, I, you know... Is there any other option? And they said, hold on. We leave that tower. They walk us across the property, huge property, into this other tower, take us up to the 26th floor, open the door. It's this giant one-bedroom suite with like a living room and a balcony that looks at the harbor and a balcony that looks at the ocean, two separate bathrooms, beautiful, would have been thousands and thousands and thousands more than what we paid for it. Gave it to us. And before we ever even got there, she and I had gone to preach at a church and we had done some traveling a little bit. We've been married a year and people would give us an honorarium and it's wonderful. Thank you for that. We got home and that church mailed us the biggest honorarium we had ever seen. Since we were married, we'd never seen a check like that. Now, since that time, we've seen more, we've seen less, but we saw and we did a dance around our living room. Our trips getting paid for like that, like that, like that. If you think back, this was 2008. This was when the government was just mailing people money. Oh, you got kids? Here's $2,600. We didn't have any at the time, but they, here, you're a married couple. Here's a thousand for you and a thousand for you. The U.S. government's paying for our vacation. And folks, this has happened over and over and over. There was one year we were believing God to go on vacation. We needed rest. We could feel it in our souls that we had to get a break and get away, but we were We were putting everything on our house, believing God to pay our house off. And we just knew the money that we had was assigned to that. So we just said, Lord, we're going to trust you. We're just going to trust you to meet the need of this rest. And without telling you the whole story, some people came to us and said, here's $5,000. You have to spend it on rest. You have to. And Sarah jumped online. And she saw this sail on a cruise that came up, this beautiful room on a cruise ship that would normally have been twice what the price was on it. She called on it and the lady's like, yeah, I know I've never seen these prices before. If I were you, I'd book it right now. Booked it. That was on a Monday. We were gone on a Friday. This has happened to us over and over and over again. A few years ago, we decided to go back to Hawaii. I jump online. I'm looking at different things and I'm on this one website that's offering all these different hotels and, and I kept getting drawn back to this one hotel and they only had a room or two on there. I was like, I don't want to stay in this, but I keep looking at it, looking at it. And I clicked this little like hit. It was like a glitch. I can't explain the whole thing, but I clicked this little button. All these other rooms come up. I'm looking at it. I was like, well, this is a beautiful place. It seems like a really good price. I call the place, the, 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 the website, and I'm like, can you look at this? Can you confirm this? The lady on the other line, on the end of the phone, she's like, I've never seen this before. And I literally saved 60% at this beautiful oceanfront hotel that normally would have cost I don't know, 10 feet, not 10 figures, sorry, five figures or something. It was ridiculously expensive and we paid a fraction of it. Just being led by the spirit of God all the time, all the time. This has happened to us over and over and over. This year we're married 15 years. I dare say it's happened at least 15 times. We have found out God is so interested 
in our rest. He has given us vacation bonuses. <laughs> He's provided for us to do things. Like I said, we couldn't have done on our own. He did it. He did it. The same way he's done this. This room you're sitting in, this church that's being built, he's done all this. The same grace, the same anointing, the same one that called us to do this, the same one that's called you to do whatever it is you're doing. If you listen, we'll call you away to come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest. Every word of that is important. Come aside. There are times you got to step away. You got to step away from what's going on every day. You got to step away from the grind, the routine. You got to come aside. You got to come aside by yourselves. Learn to love the quiet. Some people are addicted to the noise. It's not okay. Learn to love some quiet in a deserted place. These are the criteria I look for when she and I are going to go get a break. Does it meet this criteria? It's why I don't go to New York a lot. (laughs) I'm not knocking New York. I've been there. It's great. But I'm looking for some quiet. I'm looking for some peace. Because there's something that happens in me when I'm at rest. And what's so interesting, I know I've taken too long today, but I'll just finish it with this. As soon as Jesus said that to them, come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest, they turn around and there's a huge crowd of people. Now, the scripture said when they came to him, there had been so much coming and going, they hadn't even had time to eat. When the disciples came back after their little ministry trip, they hadn't even eaten. And Jesus said, let's go rest. But as soon as they turn around, there's a huge crowd of people coming to him. Jesus moved with compassion, decides he wants to feed them. They don't have any food. So you know this story. Some bread, some fish. He gives thanks. He breaks, he breaks it, begins feeding thousands and thousands and thousands of people. Does anybody remember what they picked up at the end of that? Twelve baskets of food for twelve dudes who'd just been out preaching and had been so busy that couldn't eat. And Jesus is providing for their rest. In meeting the needs of the crowd, what did he do? He met the needs of the ministry. He can do it for you. I've seen him do it for us. I'm asking you, church. Go ahead, guys. I'm asking you, as your pastor, step out in faith this year. If you haven't taken a break, if you haven't taken your family to get this extended period of time, step out in faith. Believe God. Find out where he wants you to go. Find out when he wants you to go there. And then trust him to meet the need for it. It doesn't have to be Hawaii. can be if that's what he says. It can be Colorado Springs. It can be somewhere else. Do what he says do. Watch him provide for it. Amen? Amen. Thank you for letting me take a little bit of time with this today. I can see how important it is, this rest that God has provided for. Would you stand up with me? I'm not going to keep you. You've been patient to listen. Did you get anything out of this today? Thank you, Lord. Why don't you bow your heads with me and close your eyes. I want to pray for you before you go today. Father, thank you so much for the privilege of ministering to this this awesome church, this family of people. We love you and we thank you for loving us. We thank you, Lord, for providing for our rest. Lord, there are those, I know it, in this congregation who've been struggling to sleep at night. I speak peace to them now in Jesus' name. Thank you for the promise of your word that we can lay down in peace and sleep. That you have given your beloved rest. Say it again out loud. I'm his beloved. He gives me sleep. Thank you, Lord, for the peaceful night's rest tonight. For everybody in this family, we receive it. Lord, we commit to you to be better about taking this this day a week where we just rest and enjoy each other and enjoy your presence. We know it means a lot to you and it means a lot to us. Lord, I'm asking you to provide For this church family, the way I've seen you provide for us over and over and over again. You've blessed us beyond our ability to do things for ourselves. And I give you all the praise and glory for it. And I thank you, Lord, for doing that same thing. You are not a respecter of persons. But anybody who will trust you and believe you. I know, Lord, that you will provide the same way you provided for us and so many others. I speak rest to this family of faith. I thank you, Lord, for the good work you've begun in them, and I call you faithful to finish it. 
in Jesus' name. Altar ministers, would you come to the front today? If you need prayer specifically regarding any of what you've heard today, if you've had difficulty resting at night, let some people come into agreement with you. Let's watch faith go to work here and the Lord provide you with the rest that you and I both need. We're praying for you this week, church. We love you so much. We bless you today and we believe in Jesus' name that you will be in the right place at the right time, doing the right thing with the right people in Jesus' name. We love you. We bless you. They're going to sing. You be dismissed. Go in peace and go and rest in Jesus' name. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.